During the January 6th riot at the Capitol, one group with a large presence was the right-wing militia organization, the Oath Keepers. Prosecutors are zeroing in on members of the extremist, anti-government group, the Oath Keepers. The Oath Keepers were allegedly instrumental in the January 6th attack. The Oath Keepers accused of plotting and planning, bringing military gear, encrypted communications. Using the, mili- the Capitol attack gave the appearance that these groups were better organized and better funded than many had previously known. I think the money matters because it's the way that these groups keep going. If these groups lose money and lose membership, it makes it much harder for them to keep going. Our colleague Rebecca Ballhouse was among a team of reporters who wanted to figure out where the organization was getting its money. We went into it wanting to know, are there a set of people or organizations who are funding the Oath Keepers and helping them rise to power or helping them become more powerful? And for the first time, through bank records and interviews with current and former board members, the journal was able to paint the most detailed picture yet of the group's finances. And the picture shows that it's a group that, despite its power, has been facing significant financial difficulties. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Monday, June 28th. Coming up on the show, inside the right-wing militia group, The Oath Keepers. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. The Oath Keepers were founded in 2009 by a former U.S. paratrooper and Yale Law School graduate named Stuart Rhodes. He is a balding guy with a beard. He wears an eye patch. Uh, I think he's gotten a lot of attention because he's this Yale Law School grad who's now, you know, a militia extremist. It's a very interesting transition. The Oath Keepers were founded on the idea that its members, many of whom say they're military veterans or current or former police officers, should live by an oath to the Constitution rather than to any political leader. For the Oath Keepers, the group really was attracting former military and law enforcement people in particular who were really drawn to this idea of the oath and the loyalty to the Constitution and not to any particular leader. And that was notable because the group was founded uh, shortly after Barack Obama's election, and, and he was somebody that I think a lot of the members of the group did not support. Early on, the group participated in disaster relief efforts after things like hurricanes or floods. They were also a self-appointed citizen militia. Here's Rhodes talking about it at a pro-gun rally in Oregon a few years ago. The founding fathers knew and understood that the militia of the people, armed and trained and organized, was necessary for the security of a free state. You will not be secure and you will not be free without it. you got to The group started to become more well-known as it began to involve itself in high-profile anti-government disputes like the Clive and Bundy standoff. An early incident was in 2014 when several Oath Keepers traveled to this Nevada ranch that was owned 
by Cliven Bundy, who had called for militiamen to support him in a dispute with the federal government over what the government said was illegal grazing by his cattle on federal land. The Oath Keepers also confronted left-leaning groups. In 2015, after the police shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson, Missouri, the Oath Keepers showed up during protests. And the white Oath Keepers showed up openly carrying pistols and military-style rifles and body armor and said that they were there to protect private businesses. I took an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. And it understandably rankled a number of protesters. Get the f- out of here, white trash. Oh. And also the police, who said at the time that their presence was unnecessary and inflammatory. Running a militia like this isn't cheap. So Rebecca and her colleagues wanted to figure out where this group was getting its money. I think we went into this thinking, like, are there these high-dollar donors who are funding this group. And what our reporting showed was that there are some high-dollar donors, like a handful. One that we reported on was Gary Heaven, who's the founder of the Curbs Fitness chain. And we learned that he donated $10,000 to the Oath Keepers last year. There were occasional large-dollar checks like that, but that was not necessarily the norm for the group. Curves Fitness founder Gary Heaven said he made the donation to the Oath Keepers in support of constitutional rights and didn't know what the group did with it. Most of the Oath Keepers' money actually comes from small donors and membership fees. The way the Oath Keepers works is they have a national organization and then state chapters. And the state, the way it's supposed to work is that state chapters bring in members and then they send the dues to the national organization. And at a certain point, they're supposed to get money back from the national organization that correlates to their number of members. So the annual membership costs for the Oath Keepers are about $50 and the lifetime membership cost is about $1,200. Around 2015, the Oath Keepers had about 40,000 members. We know that at this point, the group had a fair amount of money in its bank accounts. We're talking close to a million dollars at its height. They had tens of thousands of members, state chapters all around the country. So it really seemed like this group was on the rise. But the group first started to run into financial trouble in 2017. The troubles began after a white supremacist rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, turned violent, and one of the white supremacists killed a counter-protester with his car. While Rhodes says the Oath Keepers didn't attend the Charlottesville rally, the violence there created widespread backlash. Many companies, from Facebook to PayPal, cracked down on right-wing extremist groups, including the Oath Keepers. The company that had the biggest effect on these groups is that PayPal cuts off Oath Keepers. And so I think that there was a general sense from these companies that they needed to go further in that direction than they previously had. It went beyond just PayPal. By 2020, the Oath Keepers were kicked off Facebook and Twitter too, and their finances suffered as a result. Their main social media platform had been Facebook, and at one point we were told they had a a reach of, you know, millions of members on Facebook. So it really, like, the crackdown when it came was pretty all-encompassing. They have a much harder time drawing in new members or getting publicity for donations and a much harder time just practically getting that money. Because previously they would go on Twitter at their 
at Oathkeeper's Twitter account and say, please send in money to our PayPal address here. But now both of those things don't exist. They can't use the megaphone of the social media platforms. And also their account on PayPal just sort of goes away and you can't send the money there. That's right. And for the Oath Keepers, that means that they have to start asking members to pay their dues by mail. Um, It makes it much harder, I think, to process donations and to attract new donations. Around the same time that the Oath Keepers found themselves struggling to get cash because of deplatforming, a different fight was brewing inside the organization. Some board members told Rebecca that they had grown increasingly upset by the way the group's leader, Stuart Rhodes, had been managing the Oath Keepers' money. Mainly, it looked like he'd been spending a lot of it on himself. My colleague Shalini Ramachandran was able to get bank records that showed where the group's money had been spent. And uh, you can see very quickly that the money that this group is bringing in is not going to stores that you would necessarily associate with a militia organization. So some of the places that we found were a number of stores that are right around Stuart Road's house in Montana. They're, you know, even just a grocery store where the organization spent thousands of dollars, an auto repair shop where the organization spent $12,000. There's a dentist, there's a lingerie and adult goods shop called Alley Cats with a K, um, a gun store, a bar, just all sorts of expenditures that don't really make sense for this organization to be paying for. Getting deplatformed or getting kicked off websites that process their dues and donations meant that the Oath Keepers' transactions went offline, and Rhodes started asking for checks, payable to the Oath Keepers, to be sent directly to a UPS mailbox. If you go to the Oath Keepers website now, they talk a fair amount about how they're struggling to find a payment processor. They say that the radical left and big tech are attacking their ability to function online and that they're looking for a way to, quote, defeat their attempts. Um, And so instead of having sort of a button where you can donate on the website, they direct you to Give, Send, Go, which is this Christian crowdfunding platform, or they ask you to mail a check to a UPS store mailbox. The whole situation exacerbated the concerns about Rhodes' spending. Members of the organization had already been expressing concerns about Stewart's spending and his leadership of the group when this deplatforming push really kicks in in earnest. What former board members said is that it makes it easier for Stewart to sort of mask where some of the money in the organization is uh, coming in from and also where it's going. Former board members told the journal that they struggled to learn how many donations the organization was getting because Rhodes would receive checks in the mail and wouldn't always properly record them with the secretary. Rhodes said that the allegations of misusing funds were, quote, petty, stupid, and salacious, and said that people accusing him were, quote, disgruntled people that have a bone to pick. His lawyers didn't dispute the expenditures in Montana or those listed in bank records, but said critics are ignoring tens of thousands of dollars the group spent on natural disaster relief efforts. But after years of struggling financially, the Oath Keepers saw an opportunity in the 2020 election. Rebecca's reporting shows that Rhodes saw it as a chance to raise money in support of then-President Trump's false claim that the election was stolen. We have men already stationed outside D.C. as a nuclear option. In case they attempt to remove the president illegally, we will step in and stop it. That's after the break.
This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. Joe Biden's victory was a boon to the Oath Keepers. It motivated members and supporters to donate and get involved. But at this point, the deplatforming by tech giants meant that it was hard for the Oath Keepers to get their word out. So Rhodes increasingly turned to someone he thought could help. We built the only truly multimedia, independent radio, TV, print, film organization. Alex Jones. As deplatforming increases and as more and more social media websites are banning these groups, Alex Jones is increasingly the only way for a lot of them, or one of very few ways for these groups to reach a very wide and sympathetic audience. Jones, a famous conspiracy theorist and founder of InfoWars, had himself been deplatformed from major social media sites like Twitter and Facebook. But he still has a large following, and he was able to set up his own website, where his shows draw hundreds of thousands of viewers. Please remember, the only way InfoWars gets out is you word of mouth it, you private message it, you email it, folks. But keep fighting. We're a national treasure. You're a national treasure for supporting us. And so, so Jones is increasingly playing this sort of pivotal role where he's able to give a platform to these groups that have lost a platform in all these other places. And what do you have to say? Stuart Rhodes, founder of Oath Keepers, Army veteran, former lawyer, you name it. Well, I think he's on the verge of doing... What and I'm so doing. when the election then happens and Trump and his allies start saying that the election was stolen from them, they really see this opportunity to raise money, but also to raise their own profiles. Stuart, can you not feel history happening right now? I mean, it's happening right now. It is, and we're all, we all need to realize that we're Americans, we're born in this country at this time for this purpose. At this point, the Oath Keepers had found a new credit card processor, RallyPay, who could process some donations online, but they're also still getting a lot of uh, money by mail. And the Oath Keepers start drawing in tens of thousands of dollars and about a thousand new members during this period. It's, it's either President Trump is encouraged and, and bolstered and strengthened to do what he must do, or we wind up in a, in a bloody fight. We all know that. The fight's coming. With a new flood of donations, the Oath Keepers urged members to attend Trump's rally at the National Mall on January 6th, where he told supporters it was their final chance to overturn the election results. The Oath Keepers' lawyer told the journal that the group paid for travel and lodging for some of the rioters. The national organization pays for this block of hotel rooms in Virginia. So the groups are increasingly putting their focus on January 6th as this major day for members to show up in Washington. On January 6th, Oath Keepers were in the mob that breached the Capitol, and they recorded themselves doing it. We are in the main dome right now. We are rocking it. We're in here. This is what we f***ing lived up for. We f***ing trained for. 
When the FBI starts arresting members of the organization, there's also, like with Charlottesville, another round of crackdowns by these um, financial platforms. So the Oath Keepers, their website actually went dark uh, soon after January 6th. They say that their servers, which were managed by a company called Liquid Web, were just cut off. Their way of actually communicating with members was also shut off. Their, the way that they sent their listserv provider cut them off. About a dozen Oath Keepers had been arrested, and the group needed money for legal fees. So in March, Rhodes went back to Alex Jones for help. Well, what we're still seeing now is a suppression campaign. Our, our credit card processor shut us down, and they, they just insisted that I must disavow any Oath Keeper that was arrested, and I refused to do it. And you can support the organization because we're going to have to hire lawyers to fight back against the defamation. These groups are raising money on Give, Send, Go until Stripe, which is their credit card processor, starts cutting off some of the pages that go to those groups. And the riot gave board members and the group's rank and file, who were already upset about Rhodes' spending, another reason to complain. Some also expressed uh, displeasure that Stuart Rhodes, after hyping members to come to Washington that day, didn't actually enter the Capitol with other Oath Keepers. You know, I think there's a certain amount of consternation that more than a dozen Oath Keepers have been arrested, but not their leader. So I think it's really heightened both the deplatforming and the financial instability, but also the internal turmoil that these groups have been struggling with. The Oath Keepers' lawyer said there was no plan by Rhodes or the group itself to invade the Capitol building. But the boon from the 2020 election didn't last long. Rhodes told the Journal this spring that the organization was short on cash after the group spent money on operating costs and other expenses in the lead-up to January 6th. This spring, they had less than $10,000 in their bank account. Their finances are pretty much in shambles right now. They've declined remarkably in the last couple of years, but in particular after January 6th, that sort of accelerated their decline because of the limits on how they're able to raise money. And for Rhodes, his personal financial situation also appears to be getting worse, according to his lawyer and other members of the group. So Stuart Rhodes, we're told, doesn't have a house right now. He's been uh, sleeping on various friends' couches. I think pretty recently he's been uh, staying at his lawyer's house. He was served a search warrant in April uh, where they took his phone and were searching for evidence related to a possible conspiracy to, you know, storm the Capitol that day. When his phone was taken from him, he actually lost the ability to know how much was in the bank account because the two-factor authentication went to his phone. Rose's phone has since been returned, and he hasn't been charged with any wrongdoing. What does this all say about where right-wing extremism is in the U.S.? In our reporting, I mean, we certainly learned a lot about the disarray of these groups. I think deplatforming really um, has become more and more of a prominent idea in the last couple of years. And there's always been this question of like, does this really work or is this just a way for companies to save face? But I think what our reporting showed is that deplatforming actually really does work in terms of limiting these groups' reach and also um, just curtailing their ability to get money. This doesn't mean that the larger right-wing extremist movement is dead. I think far from it. You know, if people leave the Oath Keepers or the Proud Boys, they very often join or start other organizations. This does not mean that this movement is over, but 
just that I think the landscape is shifting. That's all for today, Monday, June 28th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Special thanks to Shalini Ramachandran and Khadija Safdar for their reporting in the story. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.